I think that's a that's um I mean I basically more or less agree with everything you said and Tanisaro said and Gautama said. Mm, there are many paths up the mountain. Not all paths go to the summit. Uh there what sets Gautama's teaching apart from others is um that it doesn't stop either with unity or um boundless consciousness as a final goal uh other traditions Gautama himself when he before he went um on his own and sat under the Bodhi tree, the bow tree, and um, achieved the, the, you know, nirvana, or completed the path, it went to other teachers who basically taught him the four higher jhanas. They taught, he basically was able to learn and uh, achieve uh, freedom to enter the formless jhanas, infinity of uh, space, consciousness, nothingness, neither perception nor non-perception, and that that's akin to sixth density, seventh density, uh, but there there is a grasping and a uh, the the very act of perception uh, has not been released by that time at the by those these are perceptions still perceptions of infinite space, infinite consciousness, perception of nothingness, and then a configuration of awareness associated with no perception and non-perception, neither perception nor non-perception, but that too involves some kind of very subtle grasping or imbalance or, you know, restlessness. So it does seem to me, however, that Advaita Vedanta, you know, what, what basically Ramana Maharshi or Nityananda or Nisargadatta uh, and some other guys too, um, taught uh, from uh, is uh, uh, is another path that goes to the summit where Nityananda talked about the union of Atman and Paramatman which very much talk, very just to me indicates a union of uh, higher self and the Logos the sub-sub-Logos and the sub-Logos uh, so I think that that's true Gautama basically said there is no self in the five skandhas. And so even consciousness is born of ignorance. And so true nature is not consciousness. Consciousness is a function of, um, you know, reality that fashions. It's a fashioning. It's a, it's a function of reality fashioning um, a, a subjectivity, ahamkara or sense of self that uses consciousness. And so, even consciousness born of ignorance, meaning the fifth skanda, Gautama said, born of avidya, means that within, within the um, realm of subjectivity, um, or samsara, birth and death, uh, the, the experience of arising and passing away, that's what samsara is, is the phenomenon of arising and passing away. Oh, outside of avidya, there's no experience of arising and passing away. But consciousness is something that arises and thus passes away, and thus is in the whole scheme of uh, illusion or ignorance, 
Maya, Avidya, being the realm of birth and death, meaning what arises and passes away, which is called samsara. And uh, there's no other teaching, I would say, other than uh, Advaita Vedanta. You see, these things are a little bit more subtle because there may be there may be guys in any tradition that have um, that have worked with teachers whose achievement goes beyond uh, exoteric texts, meaning what we think of as Taoism or um, Sufism or uh, Hinduism, Advaita Vedanta is based on exoteric texts, meaning public texts, meaning what we can, what's available. There are teachers who have gotten instruction from their teachers that go way, goes way beyond esoteric, uh, than exoteric texts. And so there surely could be guys who followed the Taoist or Hindu or Sufi traditions uh, and achieved complete and perfect enlightenment. I, I would say that that's possible. Uh, it's hard to say because I've not achieved it. So, <clears throat> you know, having not gone to the summit, we ourselves can't really uh, ascertain who else is at the summit. Obviously, but um, in terms of exoteric presentation of lineage teaching, yeah, only uh, Buddhism talks about um, that the very um the the very subtle basis of awareness being consciousness being uh, is is a subjective fashioned product that is ultimately um of avidya of ignorance while the other traditions identify the goal as either unity or um totality as a self but you see, just because, uh, let's say, Advaita Vedanta or Ramana Maharshi talks about the Supreme Self, doesn't mean that that's the same self, subjective, separative sense of Ahamkara. That doesn't mean that's Ahamkara. <laughs> the Supreme Self is not Ahamkara. The Supreme Self is um, a kind of boundless um, identity or freedom from identity, identity. <laughs> Uh, a, a trans-subjective identity. Like Ra said, in Seventh Density, they have no more memory. They have no more identity. They said that. So in Seventh Density, the whole issue of identity is gone. That could be called Supreme Self by Advaita Vedanta. And I would not have any, you know, I, I wouldn't try to imagine that, um, you know, some Buddhist arhat uh, is greater than Nityananda or Ramana Maharshi because I just don't know. So it's more subtle than people think. But in general, based on a- outer teaching, yeah, um, Buddhism is the only one that talks about how consciousness itself isn't the goal. And um, that that any kind of... Um, a- any reification... To think that anything we we label any any nama rupa any name and form is essentially true, is Maya. 
um, and that uh, the goal is to be free of all um, fashioning, <laughs> all, um, you know, adding on to reality um, anything, any, any subjectivist perspective, any subjectivity. Reality is beyond subjective, objective dualism. Uh, Buddhism is the only one that really gets into the nitty-gritty of that, I think. But uh, I, I wouldn't say that uh, top gurus in Advaita Vedanta or Taoism don't know that. So, I mean, like Chong Su, leap into the boundless and make it your home. Well, then um, boundlessness is one's home. That surely is uh, anatta, or beyond um, selfhood. It could be, yes, of course. And so, you, you know, only only somebody who who has freedom to has the ability, meditative skill and ability, and and seven chakra development, to freely enter the highest jhanas would know the difference between them and complete and perfect enlightenment. Well. Uh, I think that the problem, I mean, I think it's very possible or it's quite reasonable that other mystic traditions have different names for the same higher jhanas or formless realms experienced in meditation. It's very likely. I mean, wh whatever tradition you're in, there are seven densities and seven chakras. And certain um, higher states of meditation associated with union, unity, um, six chakra, um, different subplanes of six chakra, or different combinations of um, chakra um, act activation uh, would be achievable by anyone. I mean, everything's achievable by anyone. The question is, uh, does the tradition um, address, uh, does, does the tradition make a distinction between those higher, those finest states of consciousness and um, a further goal that includes a freedom from consciousness perception and perception itself? The, those higher states of consciousness are the result of perception perception of um, infinity of or infinite space or mind or consciousness or uh, nothingness. These are perceptions. D does the tradition understand that the essential ignorance or illusory um, illusion of, of non-enlightenment is associated with the generation of perception and consciousness themselves. And that that's the point. So to say that the goal is um, to get to some high level, um, basically um, is mistaken because the uh, very uh, achievement of that high level uh, is not, uh, represents work, there's still work undone even at that high level of consciousness perception, because the very means by which there's an experience have not been dismantled. Yeah, I mean, and freedom from suffering really 
You see, Gautama also said that whenever he came out of trance, he still had a sense of self. And that that sense of self was for him uh, associated with dukkha or suffering, which is very reasonable. And so, no matter how high I go, I always come back to me. And that is dukkha, <laughs> because it's a contraction. It's a contracted, it's a, it's a contraction of awareness into subjective identity. It's, sub, it, it's subjectivism, subjectivism, I am me. That, that, that is a contraction, and there's dukkha there. Uh, but you see, it's, it's, only, it's only the people who've experienced the higher jhanas and gone beyond that would be able to even comment on any other seeker's achievement, whether, they're, um, whether they have achieved the jhanas or haven't, or know what's greater or don't. So this is all theoretical, but certainly, yes, um, seven chakras need to be perfected, not just uh, getting into six, not just, not just uh, gaining some higher trance. So anyway, let's um, close with that. Um, yeah, you can say link one to six. It's basically the seven become one. The seven becomes unified. That's the point. Well, I think, that, I mean, he's talking about um, a metta, or loving-kindness, which is one of the four Brahmaviharas, which is, um, you know, spiritual practice, developing love and compassion, and an attitude towards others um, as mother or child, because uh, that's the, <laughs> you know... Once upon a time on planet Earth, um, mothers and, and children loved each other deeply. And um, that's what he's hearkening back to. That's not an expression of unity. Um, that's um, the loving-kindness basis of Ahimsa, which is the basis of Shila. Shila, <clears throat> meaning virtue or morality, as the first of the three, Shila, Samadhi, Prajna. So... To get to samadhi in meditation and prajna insight, one needs some, uh, shila. And to develop shila, or all of right action, uh, right speech, right action, right livelihood, and all that, one really has to have, um, or, or the, the foundation is the attitude of loving-kindness. And that's metta, one of the four brahmaharas, and then looking at people, uh, which would, I guess, uh, resonate with a lot of the followers at that time, um, both as parent or child, uh, the loving kindness basis of um, parent child relations. But that's not really a comment on unity. And I think that if you want to go into the more subtle thing, uh, Gautama talked about the four jhanas, four formless jhanas, infinity of space, infinity perception of perception of infinity of space, infinity of consciousness, nothingness, then neither perception nor non-perception. Actually, I would say that what people take as an experience of unity is an experience of the perception of infinite space and infinite consciousness, or even nothingness, but this really infinite space, infinite consciousness, which is um, time and space. Infinite space means 
what, what the hell does infinite space even mean, right? It means that form is seen as non-separative. That, that um, all of, you know, I look outside my window and I see trees. Well, I actually, I see space and then objects such as trees. That's finite. That's a perception of finite, finite space, finite spatiality, finite spatiality, meaning limited sense of objects, um, distinct objects in space versus perception of infinite space. Um, there, there, objects um, are seen as, um, as light <laughs> or as empty of separative solidity seen as energy, light, vibration, um, indivisible from the entirety of space or the field around. That I think is akin to infinity of space. And infinity of consciousness is mm, some sense that um, mind is not limited to the body. Mind pervades the ten directions, as they say. And um, everywhere is sparkling sentient awareness. Uh, those are experiences of unity. Or the, those experiences of formless jhanas, those two formless jhanas, are actually what people mean when they have an experience of unity. So he need not talk about unity. Unity is just the thought. Unity. Now, there can be an experience of oneness. Then later we say, oh, I had an experience of the law of one. The interpretation is thought, which is nothing much, it's just another thought. The experience itself is non-separativeness, right? It's non-dual non, um, uh, awareness or awareness of non-duality. Non-duality is this body here and those objects out there are one, one field, one life. Um, my body pulses with the with the the leaves in the wind. This kind of thing. That's the, the, the so those are the constituents of the experience of unity. I'd say, perception of infinity of space and and infinity of consciousness. <clears throat> but that's distinct from teachings on um, on loving kindness, which are really supportive of Sila or Ahimsa. Well, <clears throat> again, um, we're talking about uh, how different people use terms. And so, um, how I use them distinct to, in a way, uh, you know, distinctly, is that spirit <clears throat> is higher self, which is uh, unified awareness, unified self awareness. Uh, which is six-dimensional. And uh, soul is actually midway between the manifest mind-body-spirit complex and higher self. In Alice Bailey theosophy, there's some notion that soul represents also midway between um, higher self and, you know, incarnate uh, personality but that is uh, a temporary arrangement of angels, <laughs> of devas. And it's basically that which abides between and throughout incarnations. Now, Ra would might say it's the 
time-space or the non-physical mind-body-spirit complex or the mind-body-spirit complex without the yellow ray shell, meaning physical space-time body, but um, the inner self that uh, gains distilled experience over time. Distill, you know, gains experience by distilled love light throughout incarnations, but is somewhat distinct from the experience of the conscious mind during incarnation. So it's, um, but it's not the same as higher self, which is doing a lot more than gaining um, experience from distilled love light through incarnations. The higher self does its own thing too. It's more than that. So that's how I use them. Higher self is. Um, Six density, six dimensional, and soul is more akin to fourth dimensional or uh, time space um, receiver of distilled experience throughout incarnations. It's sort of a midway um, temporary arrangement that gains by incarnation, develops by incarnation, but is subsumed into higher self eventually. Spirit is higher self, same. So it's, I mean, you know, nobody talks about these things in such detail because they don't have, they're not drawing from multiple systems. You know, comparison of raw material and uh, Alice Bailey theosophy and Buddhism and um, Advaita Vedanta somewhat or the Hindu yoga system. Nobody does that. <laughs> and, and so they come up with um, more poetic terminology which is fine, but if you don't have a seven-dimensional model, it's hard to be precise or quantitative. And um, please, take, please take good care of yourselves. Thanks again. See you next time, and good night.